This is Our Point with Zach and Carmen. Hello. What's up? I know Carmen got on the, the Zoom this morning or afternoon. She said sup and I almost didn't know who she was. It just it felt like a sup kind of day. What I what I enjoy about you is you're just like a little chameleon over there. Just mm-hmm. always, always Keep evolving, guessing. always keeping me on my toes. I appreciate that. Uh, you're welcome. We have to talk. It's a podcast. I okay. just was like, oh, it's Monday. We made it. It's not even about Monday. Remember all of those people that like scoff at me when I say that winter is the the best. Yes, I like season. I am one of them. And I have a large list, right? And um, I was like, oh, winter is so miserable. No, 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 no. Spring is what's the most miserable season of all time. This shit, the month Mm. between the half of March through all of April is actually the most miserable period of time on the face of the planet. So I stand by my statement. I can see where it's controversial. The only people that I think can argue (laughs) that their season is better is the summer people. Mm-hmm. Like I can have a conversation with them. Like you bring some <laughs> valid points. The people that say spring, they're just fucking no, dumb. I can't spring do that. sucks. The weather is super unpredictable. It's so it's just gray. March is the most gray month. All of the snow is so dirty. It's piled up in parking lots. There's well, litter. All over my yard because it's so fucking windy. No, you're. Where's I mean, this like April bullshit we're on? We're on like April 18th and grossness. I was like, oh, all week. What do we have to look forward to? No, so Cold, much grossness, rainy, mm-hmm. nastiness. So no, you're totally right. It, it's a sup kind of day. I, I feel it, you there. <laughs> what are you? What are you drinking over there? Uh, I just had wine today. Uh. I. I did juice all of my limes yesterday because I am starting summer on May one. Okay. So feel free to join me. Pointers. Month and, month and 22 days extra yes. of summer. I, I'm, I'm on a tourism schedule. I've decided May 1 oh. is going to be like your shoulder season because tourism summer really kicks off Memorial Day. Yeah. Uh, but May, like you have three to four weeks prior and three to four weeks after like Labor Day. That's your shoulder season in tourism. So I'm. I'm going to be on a it. tourism schedule. I mean, I'm shoulder starting. pads are making their 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 way back, so I'm yeah. all for shoulder season. Yeah. Um. So I'm gearing up for some margaritas. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I'm glad you juiced early just to be prepared. Yeah. Well, because I you had to buy them at Costco, whatever. <sighs> and then so um, there's a witchy holiday on May first. Okay. Um, maybe we'll is that talk because about it's that. getting close to like Cinco de Mayo and the Day of the Dead or something like that? I don't know. Uh, no, uh, May 1st is May Day and then the uh, Beltane. Okay, so I'm well, I'll tell you more about that next week. I'm not everybody, we should take a side note here. The other day, I was talking to Carmen, aka yesterday, because she was talking to me about these limes that she was ju- juicing and she needed a jar. And she couldn't find a jar that she was looking for, but she did inform me that she had another jar that she was setting outside to try and collect rainwater for her witch shit. People, she has lost her mind. That is some, we can't make that stuff up. You just I see Carmen out nearly... there with like a mason jar running around trying to collect rainwater. 
it just sits on the deck, you weirdo. Well, you didn't catch <laughs> any chasing. rain. You didn't catch I didn't. Any it rain. didn't actually rain that much. Um, I don't think that's nearly as weird as the jar that's in my fridge that's full of moon water. Yeah, I mean, you're not I helping think, yourself out here. Any. I think other people probably have rainwater that they I think depending on the, the content, the content that this pod is creating now with your witch shit, <laughs> we're going to be put on like a shadow ban. We're going to be shadow ban podcasts because of your content. Uh, you can just use the rainwater for your plants, which I feel smart. like normal people do. Throw it in your bath. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Speaking of some weird things, I'm going to need you to actually figure out some potions and spells for me. I have a crazy story to tell you. Are you ready for it? I'm so excited. So yesterday we get home from Easter because Easter was yesterday um, in the pod world. And we're sitting at home doing whatever. And I'm not a big, these type of meals for the holidays. I'm not a big fan of them. Right. So I don't really like the Easter or the Thanksgiving meal. Don't really like the Easter meal as, as well. So I don't eat a ton. You know, a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm so stuffed. Not me. And I'm like, can I please get home so I can eat something that's, that's good. Um, and for me on some days, that means I'm going to have some pizza. So at about 7.30, we're like, okay, we're going to get some pizza. We're going to watch that new terrible first late, the first ladies TV show. Um, oh, yeah. The first mm-hmm. episode of it. There, I'm sure there'll be an article at some point, but Viola Davis, while she is great, the way that she did her lips for Michelle Obama is distracting and weird. And they also like have wrong things in the order. So like they go back to Betty Ford's time and then they show an image of the FDR Memorial in DC and that, that that didn't exist then and then they also like show a plane and there's a 747 sitting on the tarmac and michael's like 747 didn't exist then so anyways there's some like weird things about the show but i'll that keep watching weird. it okay so anyways we're gonna go get pizza right and the Domino's is because we got Domino's is like three blocks away from our house so it's very very quick michael and i decide we're gonna go together okay so <laughs> we have this fancy new so we have a gate and our fenced in backyard and we have a gate and we have a, one of the side doors of our house is in the gated portion of our backyard. And we have a dog door that's in the, the storm door. Mm-hmm. Right. Carmen, have you seen, are you yes, setting I'm, the stage I'm with you? Yep. Okay. And while I'm setting the stage, because I feel like we need props, um, the rest of y'all can't see this, but Carmen, I'm going to share my screen with you. <laughs> okay. So. Michael and I, like this I said, this is ring doorbell footage that he's showing me. Yes. So Michael and I go to the Domino's, which again, we were gone literally for 10 minutes and we clocked this, right? So we're at the Domino's pizza and I get a notification on my phone that there was somebody like in the front yard, right? In the front of our house, which happens normally. There's like kids that run back and forth across the yards. And so I didn't think anything of it. I pulled it up while I was waiting for Michael to grab the pizza from Domino's and And I saw like this girl like walk by the house, right? But didn't pay any attention to it. Well, today, Michael is looking through something because wanted to see the dogs. So watch this footage of what happened while we were at Domino's literally for 10 minutes. So um, to set the stage, we're now looking at the camera that's in the back of the house. It's set on the garage. Other people might have seen this. Remember, there was the ghost, the orb. There was the ghost, yeah. Same area, right? So we're looking from the garage towards the house which shows the 
like alley on the side of the house. That's the fenced in portion. So we have left. The dogs are free to roam the backyard. Um, so both dogs, McAllen and Fitz, who's the scary pit bull, are in the backyard. And you'll see McAllen's like hanging on the side of the house. Fitz is walking over the side. And watch what happens at the front of the house. This girl walks down the side of our house, Carmen, and is like clearly acting weird and is trying to open our back gate. To let the to dogs get- out? I think she was trying to get into our house. Oh, she, cause like when she came to the side, um, you know, this is a person we don't know. McCall- when she comes to the side, it's clear that the door on the side of the house in the back is open, but she doesn't see fits as she's like walking mm-hmm. down the side. She mm-hmm. only sees McKellen and you can see how she's like acting like very sheepish and like kind of weird, like scoping it out. And she From comes the- back and all of a sudden Fitz like notices somebody and he comes running around where she can finally see him and like Fitz scares her away and she like leaves. Isn't that weird? Oh, the crime. What um, are these people in the, doing in the front yard? Um, could you tell how old that person was? I would guess that she was like maybe in like when I first saw it, I thought she was like maybe in her teens. Right. Okay. Like while we're doing this, I mean, I might as well back it up till tomorrow. Cause you can see the whole white, why stop the, the fun now, but like, um, let me see if I can figure out how to do this. Everybody we're in real, real time. Yeah. Uh, a really good view of your neighbor's backyard. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. I mean, it's only so good, but like, we wanted to be able to see down the alley, but like in between our houses where our doors are on the side. So it's really kind of like the only place that it could be. Sure. But I, we were literally gone for, you know, a few moments. So like, I guess maybe she's older now that I like zoom in on it. Oh yeah. She looks like an adult. Yeah. So like this person, I don't know where she comes from, but it's clearly off to the side of the house over here somewhere. And she just like walks by our house like that, right? And so I just figured that she was like a kid, like going to our neighbors or something like that. Hmm. But what are the, like we were, so first off, would she have tried to open the door if we were home, mm-hmm. right? Or did they like somehow know that Michael and I left the back? Because we don't, you know, we leave the back door. You would have no idea from the front of the house that we had left. Right. Are we being cased? I mean, maybe, but that's why you have a pit bull. I guess. Well, and thank God we have a pit bull. So, yeah, you see, like, Michael and I leave. And then creepy lady walking down the side of our house. That is wild. Tries to open the back gate, which is where the open door is. And thank God the scary pit bull was there. See, I like to live in denial. I, I don't want the camera. I don't want to know who's creeping around my because definitely there are creepers in my area. Yes. I, I prefer not to know. I know. So that's that's the update I got. Like weird as shit. And then it's like, do you tell your our neighbors? Like, hey guys, <laughs> keep your I mean, pearls yeah. locked away. Keep everything locked. That never heard. Yeah, and now I'm like, well, clearly I have to. Because sometimes we'll leave the storm door open and locked. So the storm door is locked. Well, so the dogs can come out during the day. But mm-hmm. not if there's a creepy like lady 
trying yeah. to get into my house. And clearly she knew when we went to Domino's, like are her and Domino's working together? Do you feel like you could use that as an excuse for your boss not to go back to the office? Like I have to stay home and defend my property. You know what, Carmen? <laughs> Every once in a while, you have some good ideas. <laughs> I don't know. I might have to try it, but I'm kind of angry. Like, do I need to put a mega sign in my front yard so they know that I'm packing heat? Like, what do I have to do? Mm. Second Amendment supported in this house. Wouldn't the you Jesus be freaked and out? guns? Wouldn't you be freaked out if you saw somebody trying to come and open your gate, Carmen? Yes, that's I. That's I was being very. I, was like, I feel like, like you were not as concerned about this as I am. Um, yeah, that uh, that's why I was like, I don't want to know. Well, safety first over here. We are <laughs> ain't fucking around. Like I might put fifteen cameras up at this point. I just feel like my pit bull is not that scary. And no, I'm very thankful that fits like did a couple good woofs and got right up into the gate, and then she was like. Ugh. Because the nice, very sweet dog was like, hi, Come on how are in. You? Hi. The door's open. I would like some do pets. Want, do you want me to show you how to get in here? <laughs> right this way. <sighs> so that's what's going on in the, the neighborhood of Minneapolis. Not doing a real sell wow. for Minneapolis at the moment, but um, shit's getting weird. People are just so brave. That's what I don't understand. I mean, as of like, as, instead of two years ago when everything was on fire. Oh, it, it ha- ain't been good for a while. <laughs> Ain't speaking been good of, for a while. Speaking of two years, so last week we were on spring break because I had to work yeah, in Rapid City for the week. Not a very fun um, spring break. But it it was not. I don't mm-hmm. know. I saw friends. I got my Thai food. Um, honestly, it wasn't bad. Uh, two-year anniversary of our point was last week. Wild. It is wild. The amount of work we do for our like 20 <laughs> listeners is... <laughs> just and we want to really appreciate thank you so much for listening we do really we do really appreciate you we spent a lot of time trying to figure out when to work (laughs) all of this around our jobs and class so we really appreciate you listening um and sticking with us for two years two years it's a lot i know i mean we might not have stuck with anything for this long (laughs) it's very possible (laughs) Like next to our friendship, this podcast has been the longest thing that's lasted between the two of us. Hell, most jobs for me don't even last this long. Did you live here for two years? Yeah, clearly I was doing the podcast here. No, but here with oh. me. <laughs> mm, I mean, probably not consecutively, probably. I was trying to think of how long you lived here before you moved to the St. Paul Avenue house. That would have been like june of 13 nope yep you moved in at 12 moved in at 12 moved out then moved back at oh, yeah, june of 13 out. and stayed until august of 15 so yeah yeah so that would have been two years yeah june to so, august yeah there you go uh, those were the days those those were the days. Well, speaking of other things that are, are hanging on there, like the podcast, <laughs> Barnes, Barnes and Noble. I read a really interesting article over the weekend from the New York Times titled How Barnes and Noble Went from Villain to Hero. Um, and it's written by Elizabeth Harris. And so this article start, starts a lot by talking about how the importance of independent bookstores and how a lot of 
liberals and in particular, like love to talk about independent bookstores and have spent a lot of time, you know, bemoaning Barnes and Noble as, you know, that Barnes and Noble was the evil giant that was killing independent bookstores and how you shouldn't purchase books from them. You should yada, yada, yada. Right. Okay. Well, make a long story short. What they have come to see is that independent bookstores enemy and Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble share the same enemy, which is Amazon, which has now made them friends. And that a lot of these independent bookstores and in particularly independent authors and publishers and those folks really need Barnes and Noble to survive because at this point they really are the only thing that is stopping Amazon from completely wiping out books like physical bookstores in particular. And there's a lot of sales that are driven um, primarily the sales of books that aren't like top 10 bestsellers or get huge media buzz. Mm-hmm. You need you need to be able to like walk into a bookstore and to be able to get those random selections that you wouldn't see because you see them displayed on the shelf or some of those other lesser known books, right? You have to have proximity and you have to be in person, which is the problem for smaller authors and ones that don't have publishers that don't have million dollar. Um, so you're saying like browsing, we need that. We need physical bookstores for the browsing so you can discover things. Yes. And that is the downside of Amazon is that they haven't figured out online a good way to do the browsing. Mm-hmm. And and really, Barnes & Noble has become really the only place to do that that's com- actually competing with Amazon because none of the independent bookstores are competing with Amazon. And so Barnes & Noble is also helping to like prop up the prices of books because if it was only on Amazon, they could buy in such quantities that the price goes down. And then that wipes out the ability for independent bookstores to like, you know, why would you buy a book for $25 when you could buy it for $15 on Amazon? Right. So Barnes and Noble as having a large footprint is also able to like boister the price of books um, and not completely wipe out some of the smaller, um, you know, book distributors, things that are a little bit more localized that wouldn't make it to the top top recommendations on Amazon. And so this article talks a lot about how um, how they brought in a new CEO and have really kind of made Barnes and Nobles feel and act like the smaller independent bookstores, which are allowing them to survive. So when Barnes and Noble was in trouble, it was because they really centralized everything and all the decisions were made from the New York corporate office. And so that's where you saw all of a sudden Barnes and Nobles had sold a bunch of things that actually had nothing to related to do with books, right? So if you think about like the mm. Legos that were going on yeah. there and all of the, they had all kinds of weird shit in there. They were totally in this article. I mean, there was about- stationery, there was music, there were gifts, there were bookmark. Yeah, they had. Yes, and they then had- there's the cafe. Yeah, they talked about batteries were in here, right? And they're like, nobody thought like, oh, I need batteries. Let me run down to Barnes and Noble to get batteries, right? And so they have brought in a, a CEO um, who I can't figure out the name of him at the moment, but he 
did a lot of great things for saving like a, a large book chain in the UK. And what he has done is basically gutted their corporate office. So there isn't like, you know, it's not immune from some of the layoffs and people losing their jobs, but they have really given more power to independent Barnes and Noble managers to act as more independent bookstores, right? So where they used to purchase all of their books from the publishers based on like a quota system, they now allow the orders for book sales or book purchases to be made at the individual branch location, as opposed to it being from the corporate. So every single branch based upon what they see as driving their book sales are able to order books that fit that, right? So they can have more local authors if they are a location, say in Sioux Falls sells more fiction and Edina here sells more nonfiction. The, the manager can curtail its offerings based upon its regionality. So it's starting to act more like an independent bookstore. Um, and that has allowed Barnes and Noble to really succeed through the pandemic um, and really able to compete with Amazon um, or it, ha- it hasn't in the past. And that is helping all these poor individual publishers and more regional book titles and authors um, who are getting decimated by the Amazon success. So I thought it was really interesting just to talk through how they were making these changes. Um, Daunt Brooks. Nope. Daunt Brooks is a bookstore. So I have no idea what that is, but I'm trying to find the CEO of this new dude. Uh, That's super interesting. I'm going to have to really think about this further because I, I still feel like um, Barnes and Noble is like Amazon and yet worse because it's more expensive so I didn't really think about more money going to the authors and the, you know, the publishers and everybody who distributes the money for the book that you buy. I never, I didn't think about it from that direction. Well, so they have a few like independent book owners, book owners in here, bookstore owners in here that talk about like, you know, at the end of the day, they still would prefer Barnes and Noble not to be a mile down from their independent bookstore, but Right. It is the only thing that's allowing, it might not save the small mom and pop bookstore, but it saves the, the thing that we enjoy about independent bookstores, the, the, the browsing, the ability to go in for one book, but finding an obscure author that maybe you've never heard of before Mm -hmm. and allowing you to purchase their book. Right. So it, you know, independent bookstores are going to make it because they've cultivated a clientele. They offer something different beyond the price of the book. But for the end user, as a somebody who enjoys to read or having that book buying experience, um, as well as publishers and some of those other folks, Barnes & Noble getting this right and becoming and acting more like an independent bookstore itself is really important to make sure that that experience survives is I guess the, huh. the overarching theme of this article. Well, so, that is fascinating. We used to all hate on Barnes and Noble because they were the big guy, but now there is a gigantic person. So huh. New York times like, <laughs> again, 
now Barnes and Noble independent bookstores have the same actual enemy. The enemy of my enemy is my friend for sure. Yes. So I don't know. It was very, very insightful. And I guess I just didn't know that Barnes and Noble really changed its approach. And it was fascinating to hear now how they have given onus onto their employees and their individual branch operators um, to be successful. They got rid of Barnes and Noble for a long period of time was allowing publishers to pay for placement of, mm-hmm. of their books, right? So you would walk in and maybe a book that wouldn't move copies would, you know, be placed prominently. And um, at the end of the day, I also learned that that was bad for publishers if they did that, because that they might order a large quantity, but they're able to return the book to the publisher and get all of their money back if the book doesn't sell. Um, yes, I did know that. So obviously Barnes and Noble going away from that practice has stopped some of the huge order placements for on the publisher's side of things where they have been losing money because they then would get, you know, 500,000 copies of a book returned because they basically just paid for the placement, but it wasn't a book that anybody wanted. Right, right, right. So I don't know. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I love learning things. I guess we, I mean, it's probably similar to... I mean, retail, right? You might not like Macy's or some of those other things, but at the end of the day, now they're the only thing stopping. If you want to see physical clothes in stores, like they, they now are a last shot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. So before we start buying everything online. Yeah. Well, mine, my article is interesting but in a different way i found it on cbs but you can find it anywhere man (laughs) awarded four hundred and fifty thousand dollars after panic attacks firing (laughs) following birthday party he asked company not to hold so this is an ep story actually that's on um, cbs news but yeah so in kentucky this man um at gravity diagnostics he was like hey um please do not throw me a birthday party uh it will cause huge stress i i just apparently this is something they do for everybody he was like please do not do this he suffers from anxiety disorders and panic attacks um but apparently the office manager forgot and i'm gonna say (laughs) she didn't forget because that just seems suspicious but according to the lawsuit, the office manager forgot his request and still had the, held the party. And then he had a panic attack and he left and he spent his lunch hour in his car, which I mean, sad. And then they held a meeting with him the next day, setting off another attack when his supervisor chastised him for, quote, stealing his coworkers joy <laughs> and, quote, being a little girl. Ooh, and that then- probably is what really that's probably what the lump sum of the lawsuit was probably about. And then they fired him. <gasps> yeah. After he had a second panic attack, they fired him. Um, and the company told him that uh, it was worried about him being angry and possibly violent. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so anyway he brought the lawsuit saying that they discriminated against him based on a disability 
um, and then retaliated against him for demanding a reasonable accommodation. And the reasonable accommodation being don't have a fucking birthday party. (laughs) And uh, it took two days and they awarded him $300,000 for emotional distress and 150,000 in lost wages. Um, So they (laughs) were saying, you know, because with the ever increasing incidence of workplace violence, you know, this sets a very dangerous precedent, um, except that he wasn't violent actually in any way that I can find. Um, and the lawyer for the company says, uh, it's, it's her employees rather than the plaintiff who are the victims. Um, because they, they, (laughs) I don't know what makes them the victim. (laughs) Um, but he had told his supervisor, the, the guy, um, that having a birthday celebration would bring back bad childhood memories surrounding his parents' divorce. So like, that means he told his supervisor and the office manager that he did not want one. And they were like, fuck it, eat some cake. (laughs) We don't care about you. That's that's insane. I feel like you and I'm Sarah so happy for this man. people to have a birthday party when they didn't <laughs> want one. And so like, maybe this is hitting a little close to home, but, um, cause there's been many times I've been like, I don't want to do anything. And you're like, Meh. but if I knew I could sue you for $450,000 for emotional distress, I mean, it is crazy that this company did this. And not only did they not like throw the birthday party and then realize that, well, that did not go as planned, but then they like tripled down on this mm-hmm. and the being a little girl and then firing him because he, people have done worse in, in work meetings that not, you've been on and that I've been in and this doesn't happen. But the thought that, the company would go to this would actually care this much is is asinine shouldn't the the employees that were there still got to like have cake and not work for an hour right well and i I, it just it's it's so dumb like you can just no i got i got nothing i have no more words for this it's so, I mean, yeah, the, the doubling down and the firing, particularly when someone has a panic attack, which they told you, um, you got to know you, you can't be firing people um, with a disability or with a medical issue, not even in South Dakota. Yeah. And it says I that imagine Kentucky is probably he had only worked there for 10 months. So, again, you don't know this in person incredibly well. And so. You know, it might be one thing if somebody has worked there for 25 years and it's their 60th birthday and they're like, please don't celebrate my birthday. Because, But you're like, I know Carmen. She's actually going to love this. Let's go for it. Like, we're going to make this fun. It's another thing when the person is new and you don't, you haven't been through this before and they literally are like, please don't do this because it's scarring. Right. Ugh, you can't be surprised when it doesn't go according to plan. <laughs> exactly. And how many, how many people do you have to tell that you don't want this? Well, apparently you should tell nobody and just get a huge lawsuit uh, settlement because that's impressive. Good for him. I mean, sure. I mean, yeah, I'm, I, I'm really happy for him. I have panic attacks basically at work and also eat 
lunch in my car. So <laughs> <laughs> like maybe we're onto something here, but David Begg, no, I'm coming for you. So I'm having I a have moment. a question. No, wait. Oh, I have yeah, a question. Okay. About the lady trying to break into your house. I thought yes. about it during the okay. break. Okay. Um so I I don't read next door a lot, but mm. there are people on next door who post their camera feeds and say like this suspicious person was creeping around my house. So are are you going to do that? Cuz I don't it's think the police you... will will do anything. No, the police cuz like no crime actually happened yet. Right, but besides I... the fact that she was trespassing. Do you want to put the neighbors on alert? Well, and so I don't know if you remember, I don't remember if the pod was happening at this point, but there was a time where Michael and I were sitting on the couch and somebody tried to open Mm. our front door and then Michael opened it for them. (laughs) Um, That time there was a next door thread that was happening where other people were saying the same thing happened. And I think Michael did comment on there. Mm. I am, I'd rather be broken into than open the next door like Pandora's box. Cause those people are insane. And I get some of the emails, but to like see more of the comments or something like that, you have to like sign in. Yes. And I, I, I I've just held out on doing that because there's some weird, like those people are too much. So you bring up a solid point. Um, but I'm kind of thinking I'd like to be taken for everything that I have, as opposed to like read deal the comments with the, on next door read yeah. the con- and get the notifications constantly. Cause you know, they're not just going to email you once a day. You're going to oh, just no, open they the are... flood doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're so, definitely relentless. I mean, it is something to think about, but I'm, I'm thinking an insurance claim sounds more enjoyable, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, back to nostalgia. I used to love the real world. Did you ever watch the real world? You no. didn't have TV, did you? You lived in the pre-TV era. <laughs> we had television. We didn't. It was was it on MTV? It was on MTV, Carmen. Yes, but like I, you're busy have, dealing with church. You were doing church camp. I well, I probably could have watched the real world in college, but I didn't. I feel like I need to talk to Sarah. We should have phoned a friend because I feel like Sarah would have watched the real world sarah is a reality show person yes. if anybody watched uh reality shows in our family it would be sarah yes so i'm sure some other folks that listen to the pod grew up watching the real world um and as a young kid i i was in on this from the beginning but there was an article in entertainment tonight titled the real world new orleans reunites for homecoming season three watch the trailer by stacy lamb you know what? Kind of jealous of Stacy's life. Um, this is the kind of content that I would like to be pumping out into the universe. <laughs> but the reason I wanted to talk about the the New Orleans real world is, again, this was a show that I was not supposed to be watching MTV at age 10. Um, so you would have to watch this like and we only had one television. So you had to watch it at a certain time where mom and dad wouldn't catch you. Because if they would have seen that I was watching the real world, wouldn't have went over very well. Mm-hmm. And especially as a young kid who knew he was different or gay, but didn't actually know how what it meant or what to say there. This was the storyline where Danny was dating a man who was in, you know, one of the first 
there was Pablo in one of the earlier San Francisco, but the real world usually had one gay character on it because it was super controversial and people were figuring it out. And that was part of the real world, right? They put all these random people, pick seven strangers to live together, have their life taped, um, the slogan. But so Danny, anyways, was dating a man who was in the army during the height of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And so his boyfriend, who they never really had his, gave his name, always had his face blurred in the show. Ooh, that's interesting. And so one, it was crazy as a kid to watch these, what you saw as like adults acting crazy and doing crazy. But then there was like this gay guy who was like out there living his life. And there was a lot of drama between Julie and a couple of other people in the house, obviously, because they pick people to start fights. Otherwise, why the hell would you watch this show? So there was always some craziness happening, but in particular, it was Danny and his boyfriend who was in the military, who had his face covered um, the entire time. And so, you know, they were making out doing all this, all these things, but his face is always blurred because obviously don't ask, don't tell. And so um, moral of the story is on Paramount. They have been doing this a couple of times now where they take some of the early real world castmates and put them back together for, you know, a much shorter period of time, a a homecoming um, component where they get them back together and they kind of relive and talk through some of the stuff. And so this reunion is is airing on Wednesday, April 20th. Um, and you can also now go back and watch the original 23 episodes of the of the New Orleans um, season. But I'm fascinated about this because they apparently are going to talk more with Danny about his relationship with the the closeted military member, kind of what that what that was like because he he did say in the trailer that, he faced a lot of anxiety and I mean, I guess just overall fear, right. I mean, of what he was potentially doing to this man's career and if they got caught and all these impl- implications, but of course he really liked this person. And so, I mean, it was just, again, the horror stories of don't ask, don't tell were played out on live television, which is what made the real world such an impactful TV show and especially in the LGBTQ plus community um, as they were kind of the first, obviously the first reality show, but they were kind of the first reality show that aired real life gay problems that were happening, whether or not it was the AIDS, AIDS crisis with Pablo, right? He was kind of like the first person that was brought on a, a TV show and we kind of watched his AIDS journey. Um, and then don't ask, don't tell was really like, a light was shined on the implementation implement implications of real life relationships in this real world. So if you're a real world, real, the real world fan, you remember probably Danny and his blurred out um, military boyfriend. And so watch the reunion. If that's something that's of interest to you. Wow. Well, this is super interesting. So um, are they still together? No, they're not together. Um, and I, I don't I don't think they made it past much of the show, to be honest with you, but sure. It was always and, but like, he was never outed via the show. He was not outed during the show. No. Uh well, that's great. 
I mean, probably pre, I mean, it was pre-social media days, so they were probably able to get away with it, right? Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot of people in the later real world shows. Also, I find that to be a tongue twister to say. (laughs) Um, All of a sudden, there was lots of people that were always posting on social media and filming the crews and the cast Mm. of the real world, which kind of made it not as fun to watch, right? Sure, because um, it everything had been leaked. Yes, so I don't know. It was just one of those shows that I vividly remember this season. Are they going was... to interview the guy, the military guy? The trailer and the articles I said don't really say anything because I think they focus obviously on the original cast members. Sure. But I'd be interested for that perspective, like the what Danny that was like and, and his relationship. I mean, were one of the biggest storylines in all of the real world um seasons so i'm hoping they touch on it which is why i'm interested because um, sure something i vividly remember and remember watching thinking it was really cool to see a dude dating a dude but then just like how crazy of a world we lived in that they had to blur this person's face because he would be fired from his job ah so and then you, you could it be gay or up- have a birthday party you grew up to be a military husband. Yes. How wild and is that? It is wild. And Michael will tell you all of the trauma of don't ask, don't tell if you ask him about it. So it was really impactful on a lot of people in a very negative way. Well, now that's two things I have to talk to Michael about. Yeah. Uh, Great I, list. I, wanna, I, I, ha- I need some essential oil advice. And he's, he's your person. Yeah. Michael is who I need to talk to. So, so I'm going to talk about abortion and we're, I mean, arguably we're going to talk about abortion probably a lot until June and and then they'll repeal Roe and then there won't be anything to talk about anymore. Yes. Cause abortion will be banned. So we can't talk about it anymore either. Yeah. That'd Mm -hmm. that'd be a whole different podcast. I'm sure there are (laughs) definitely more podcasts if you want to listen to that. So, uh, but the Washington post, which I have to renew the subscription because we've been doing this for two years, the threat to Roe v. Wade is driving a religious movement for reproductive choice, Mm. uh, by Michelle Vorstein. And I would argue, and Michelle does touch on this in this article, but I would argue like prior to the religious rights takeover of the Republican party, like religious leaders were a fine with abortion and understood that because women couldn't control their, we had no tools to control our reproduction that, um, they, you'd be sitting in confession or you'd be, you know, ministering to your flock and you're just like, I, I will die. I will die. And, and I will leave these seven kids that I've already had. Um, and there is a religious case to be made that a, it is not addressed in the Bible. Thank you very much. And B, like, if you're truly thinking about like on a case by case basis, as a, as a woman, as a person who is a member of your congregation, uh, and you actually think of them as a person and not like an incubator, mm-hmm. that there are um, circumstances where women need to be able to be in control of their body and their reproduction. And so it starts off and it's, it talks about Rev, um, Revlin Kaylee 
McAvoy. She got a new job, a new congregation in 2018, and was questioning whether or not she should tell her new congregation about that she had recently um, had an abortion. And um, she said it was not in conflict with her faith. Um, she and her then boyfriend prayed over it. Uh, and it was her faith and her religion was very much a part of that decision. However, it's such a dicey topic. And um, even though you're she's in um, a suburb of Bethesda. So mm-hmm. they the article says full of liberal people who politically support abortion access, but it's maybe different to have your your pastor talk about it and to call it a social and theological good. But like this shit is talk about a way like it's just crawling across the not crawling because crawling is slow very quickly crawling across the country (laughs) of texas mississippi kentucky oklahoma uh shit is bad um and i don't expect everybody to be on top of that because a lot of shit's bad everywhere so you can just let me handle this if you if someone else wants to worry about ukraine that'd be great and climate change someone else can hold that um space i'd really appreciate that but now like religious leaders are seeing the writing on the wall and whereas they may have been privately or quietly supportive of abortion and reproductive choice things are so bad right now in so many states and with the impending we expect it to happen at june um for the supreme court decision to come down it could definitely happen sooner but it won't um we're looking at if you're religious, you should be against it. And now they're like, that's not actually true. There's actually a lot more nuance. Um, now predominant clergy are saying, um, this is different across the religious spectrum. And so then it goes on to talk about Orthodox Christianity. Um, there's, a several, um, people of the Jewish faith that are quoted, um, there's a Catholic priest and a former longtime U.S. House chaplain um, says this. So this is an interesting. So Pat Conroy, Reverend Pat Conroy, Catholic priest, former longtime U.S. House chaplain, told The Washington Post that while he views abortion as a, quote, tragedy, conditions like poverty and oppression steal women's options. Ultimately, he says, the choice belongs to women and we should not make that for her. Um, even though, and the article goes on to say that his faith does teach that life begins at conception. Um, at the end of January, 450 clergy and other faith advocates met virtually for a two-day event called Sacred that presented reproductive rights as one of the critical justice movements of our time. Um, more than uh, 1,500 rabbis have signed on to a program called Repro Shabbat, in which the congregation study Jewish texts about teaching um, about reproduction. And uh, 54 faith groups signed on to an amicus brief last fall talking about the new Mississippi law that bans abortion after 15 weeks. Um, Because there are diverse religious views about when life begins and that banning abortion violates a woman's constitutional right to religious freedom, which I did think was a new and different um, argument to be made. Not that it will matter, but I thought that was very interesting. 
So it's a great article um, if you're interested in the religious case for reproductive freedom and reproductive justice. I highly recommend checking it out. If you don't have a subscription or you're out of your free articles for the Washington Post, I can gift it to you. Carmentoft at gmail.com. But it is, it's it's very long. So I'll I'll finish up, but it's um it's coming. And I thought this was a really interesting perspective, particularly if you feel conflicted as a religious person or a person of faith and wanting and understanding that abortion is an unnecessary uh, healthcare procedure. Yeah. I mean, I find all of this interesting because especially uh, from a faith leaders component, because we used to live in a world again, right. Where um, all sins were, were equal and religious organizations and, and churches welcomed in the sinner to, you know, get forgiveness. And, um, you know, they, they weren't, you weren't meant to condemn somebody um, based upon their, their sins. Right. It, it was all about forgiveness. At least that's what I was taught in, in my faith journey. Um, and I find it fascinating that the evangelicals on the right have, I mean, they they become radicalized just like everybody else on every other issue that we we deal with right now, right? Faith leaders uh, have become radicalized, and so I think you see some faith leaders, like we're described in this article, that take a more traditional, long term view of what religious organizations, the place that they held in, in people's lives, and just like you know, Grandpa might have been radicalized, so have some of these congregations, unfortunately, and so. I just always find those people that want to, you know, have a political agenda from the pulpit to be a special type of, of wackadoodle that we, we see too many of. And um, I think that's why we, and they should lose their nonprofit. They should lose their their tax exemption. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, we can, we've had this conversation about whether or not it was the people that were going to, the Catholics who were going to ban Joe Biden from getting oh, communion yeah. yep. to, uh, I mean, there's been a plethora of <laughs> We of have been doing here, this podcast a long time. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think there, there used to be a, a time where the church didn't make political views or the church didn't have a political agenda. And I think we have, we've obviously seen that change. And I think if organizations want to do that, you're right. They should um, lose their tax exemption status and then they can I guess be a business and make all the political speech that they want to do. Mm -hmm. I think that they can have a conversation with us again, after they have dealt with the, the creeps that um, rape and molest children um, that hoard millions of dollars of art and build gigantic um, palaces for themselves and drive a Mercedes Benz, limousine to carry the Pope around. Um, they can have that conversation when they do good works and, and feed the poor. But until that point, I don't want to fucking hear from them. So go away, go away, go away, go away. Ain't got no time for these fucking wackadoodles. It gets me really worked up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why there were, there know. was a lot, um, on social media yesterday about like all of the politicians who are consistently voting against 
literally feeding the poor. <laughs> and they're like, happy 100%. Easter. He is risen. I'm like you, you would have hated Jesus actually based <laughs> on. Uh, well, and he like, was a brown person. So they definitely would have hated. Well, Jesus. And like one of the posts was like, we have the receipts. Like we, we have all of the votes that you specifically took to not make medication affordable, to, to vote against school lunch programs, to, you know, affordable housing. We can prove that you are not Christ-like in your day to day. So maybe, maybe shut up about Easter. To be Christ-like, you have to, once again, make the woman subservient to her husband and get in the kitchen and make that ham that's what you're that's all you're good for make that ham i guess that's that's what they're saying crazy i took my family to the restaurant you can't be going to restaurants and that's not where jesus is it was great you're right i did not see jesus at the crooked pint but um Um, i thoughts i do yes i had a listener question um about whether or not our minor league baseball team they're not even minor league what's the baseball team in sioux falls the pheasants no but like the entertainment league they're they're a league anyway we have this baseball team in sioux falls i don't know what kind of league they are um whether or not they are still called the pheasants or if they are back to the canaries um and american association of professional baseball so whatever that means uh, but no, they are no longer the pheasants. They were only the pheasants from 2010 to 2012. Mm-hmm. And then they've been back to the Canaries now 10 years, which I surprised me, to be fair. Did this person think that they um, or forget that they might have gotten a quicker answer to their, their listener question if they just would have Googled this themselves? Uh, I, I don't know how listener <sighs> questions <laughs> how they work i guess they were going to the sports reporter but i yes that was I'm, like i was like oh i don't know the answer to that we could have and they're like the i bet the person. sports reporter would look that up for me and so i did and so okay. now the answer they are the sioux falls canaries all right well you're welcome thank you jeeves over there um my parting thought is um i'm very excited the mask mandate on airplanes it's gone today wow very, did you see that I, I did. I saw that a judge struck it down, but I guess I didn't look to judge struck it down. So thank God Two, um, didn't make no sense. They did. Uh, Secretary Becerra did extend the public health emergency through July. So, yeah, they're losing. But I mean, I guess we'll just lose every single congressional and Senate seat and let Republicans create a new way of life for us because we're willing to die on the mass kill. But um that's fine. It's fine. It's going to happen anyways, I guess. So, well, we spent a, when at, the, at my work thing in rapid, we did spend some time talking about, so the, um, they changed a lot of the telehealth rules based on the public health emergency. And mm-hmm. we like the telehealth rules. That's awesome for access. And so the telehealth rules are going to be in place beyond a certain number of days beyond the public health emergency whenever that does officially end and we're hoping that that gives congress time to fix them and keep them in place so that is why the public health emergency is important to me well because um democrats have not been very smart politically i understand that this is 
good politics does not equal good public health. That being said, because they have also not been good at good politics, trying to merge that with good public health, um, they will effectively lose every single seat and we will be left only with Marjorie Taylor Greene um, in charge of public health. So good hill to die on, but I am very glad that the mask mandate is gone as um, I could go to Coachella and stand in a mosh pit for 15 hours, but yeah. couldn't fly in a plane where they have they have had studies shown that they have the best air filtration and there's like virtually no transmission of the disease or COVID on the plane. So anyways, I'm very um, excited about it. Don't you have, do you have a trip coming up? Well, we're going to Michigan the end of April. I hope the creepy lady who's trying to break into my house isn't listening to the podcast. Oh, that um, was not the trip I was thinking about, but maybe you just have so many trips. Well, I'm only, I'm only in April trips. <laughs> there is, there are May trips and June trips and July trips, but we're only going with April so far. All right. It's fair. That's a fair point. All right. All right. Um, go team. <laughs> go team. Go pheasants. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our point. To stay up to date and for links of the articles that we discussed in this podcast, join us on Facebook and Twitter at Our Point Podcast. If you have articles that you would like us to discuss, feel free to tag us on Facebook or Twitter, or you can also email us at ourpointpodcast at gmail.com. 